Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we talk about the Metflex diet. Burn better fuel, burn better fat with Dr. Ian Smith. Theoretically, if you skip enough meals or you're malnourished too frequently, then your body gets confused and your body says, well, I don't know if another meal is coming, so let me hold on to the fat and the energy I have and slow down my metabolism. But that only happens in extreme cases. I mean, if you starve yourself, uh, which means don't eat for three or four or five days, then your body is gonna slow down your metabolism because it's a protective mechanism. But skipping one meal is not going to do it because you need an extended period of time of the body having no energy influx for it to then say the correction is going to be, guess what guys, we're slowing down. So one meal skipping is not going to do it. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. I'm excited to bring on Dr. Ian Smith for the first time on the show he has a brand new book and he has several books over, what was it, over 20 books he's written so far, I believe. I've been following this guy for several years and I, and I share with him on the episode, you'll hear it soon, that I remember when I was first starting out in the health space, 2008, a few years into it, I kept seeing his books all over the place at airports, at bookstores, on Amazon. And I thought, this guy's crushing it. And I'm excited because we finally got him on the show. His team reached out with his new book coming out which is out right now called The Metflex Diet. And they wanted me to interview him. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we had a fantastic interview. We took a deep dive into metabolic flexibility. We're going to discuss the signs to pay attention to if you are metabolically inflexible, some of the easy steps to harness this metabolism and innate intelligence. We'll talk about these, what he calls metabolic boosters. We'll get into the importance of B12 consumption, protein consumption, but not from protein powders and supplements. He's actually not a big fan of that, but actually protein, eating the animal-based protein or in some cases, plant-based protein, but eating the food. We'll talk about fasting and why he loves intermittent fasting and fasted workouts. We'll debunk a lot of myths surrounding fasting as well. He's also going to debunk a lot of myths regarding the metabolism and why we believe it slowed down after a certain part and you couldn't recover it, and why that's a whole bunch of BS. We'll discuss the four stages of metabolism, where he debunks a lot of the myths and explains exactly what's happening with the metabolism at different ages of your life, and so much more. I cannot wait to bring him on. You're going to love this conversation. Hey, before I do, 
I want to get to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day from P Locks, five-star review titled Keto Camp, hoping to start the new year learning about keto. I've been fasting for eight months with some results. So I wanted to try keto and see if it could ramp up my metabolism. Hey, perfect for this conversation because the scale hasn't budged. I was listening to a few of your episodes and I'm excited to learn more. Very good info. Thank you. Thanks, Pilox. I am so glad you're listening and learning more. I've got a lot of episodes coming your way as well. Today's conversation is perfect for you because it's all about the metabolism. It's all about what I call keto flexing. Dr. Ian Smith calls the MedFlex diet. Different verbiage, but similar principles. So thanks for that review. I really appreciate that. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review as of yet, please do so. It really helps. And maybe I'll read yours on the next episode. All right, let's get right into the conversation with Dr. Ian Smith. Dr. Ian Smith is a New York Times bestselling author. He is a longtime medical contributor to the Emmy award-winning Rachel Ray Show and a former solo host of the nationally syndicated Emmy award-winning television show, The Doctors. He has also served as the medical slash diet expert for six high seasons of VH1's highly rated Celebrity Fit Club and is the creator and founder of the National Health Initiatives, the 50 Million Pound Challenge, and the Makeover Mile. He's the former medical correspondent for NBC News Network and the News Channel 4 in New York, where he filed reports for NBC Nightly News and the Today Show, as well as the WNBC's various news broadcasts. He has appeared extensively on numerous broadcasts, including The Oprah Winfrey Show, The View, Dr. Ah, Steve Harvey Show, The Talk, Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper 360, CNN, MSNBC, and more. That is impressive. He has written various publications for Time, Newsweek, Men's Fitness, and the New York Daily News, and has been featured in several other publications, including People, Red Book, Details Magazine, Essence, Ebony, Cosmopolitan, and The Black Enterprise. Whew, what a resume. But it's not over there. He's a graduate from Harvard College with an AB and received a master's in science education from Teachers College of Columbia University. He attended Dartmouth medical school and completed the last two years of medical education and graduated from the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Ian Smith. Dr. Ian Smith, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Glad to join you. You know, what's interesting is about 14, 15 years ago, I got into the health space after I went through my own health transformation. And I remember in the beginning stages when I was a personal trainer and I used to have a CrossFit gym, I kept seeing your books everywhere. <laughs> I saw your books at the bookstores, at airports, and I thought, man, this guy's crushing it. Like, it's so inspirational to me. And um, you know, now we fast forward. How many books have you written so far? Well, my new book, The Metflex Diet, is number 24. Uh, so I'm getting... I'm getting old, but you know, the science keeps changing and the information keeps coming. And, you know, as long as there's new stuff out there, I want to keep writing about it. Yeah, right on. And people need that info because a lot of people are unhealthy uh, and suffering. So 24 books. Congratulations. I love that. We'll get into your new book and I love it. Um, your team sent me a, a PDF copy that I was blessed to read before the interview. But I want you to share your story with my audience. You know, what, what even got you involved into the health space and why are you so committed to getting the message out there? Well, I've always wanted to be a physician since I was a little boy. So I was one of those kids that really had direction about what he wanted to do. So becoming a doctor was a fait complete for me. I was going to happen. But I never thought I would be this kind of doctor. I was 
supposed to be a neurosurgeon. And uh, I went to undergrad, then med school, then did my residency and was training to become a surgeon. Uh, and then I got involved in television by accident. And so I started doing medical journalism um, while I was training to become a physician. And my career kind of bifurcated. Like I had these parallel paths that were happening. I was doing TV and I was doing uh, my residency training. Uh, and then what happened was basically I, got, I was doing a column for Time magazine. And in my column, I would write, I wrote the personal health column. So I talk about issues of the day, if there was a medication recall, if the flu season, whatever it was. But I kept getting a lot of questions about weight loss and nutrition and food and fat burners and metabolism. Things, by the way, I didn't know the answers to because back when I was in medical school, we had maybe half a day of training in nutrition, uh, which is not even a fraction of enough. And so I felt very insufficient in my ability to answer my readers who were asking me questions that were important to them and I didn't have the answers or the knowledge. And so I started learning about nutrition basically and about weight loss and diets and all those kinds of things, vitamins, minerals, and supplements. And what happened was I got an email from uh, a publisher to my column email address and they asked me, hey, do you want to write a book? I was like, who doesn't want to write a book? course I want to write a book. And so um, they signed me up for two books and they said, you can write whatever you want. I was like, really? And so my first book was about uh, nutrition. It was called the Take Control Diet. And I wrote it simply because I wanted to answer questions uh, to my readers at Time Magazine who were completely lost and confused about what they needed to do to undergo a transformation. That's awesome. I love that they gave you the flexibility, no pun intended, to write whatever you wanted to, to write about. So, all right, so that's 24 books ago. Now we're 24 books in, and your brand new book called The Metflex Diet is a, a complete a six-week program. It's a complete game plan. I, I reviewed the whole book, and I love how it's just so simple for either somebody who's a beginner or somebody who's advanced to follow. And I love the theme. My book, my latest book that I wrote two years ago is called Keto Flex, right? So I love that we both have flex in there because it's all about the metabolic flexibility. And in your book, you talk about what exactly that is. But first, let's talk about the opposite, metabolic inflexibility. Because in your book, you talk about what we see out there in America. Maybe you could explain what you see uh, in terms of the uh, unhealthiness of the American population. Yeah, well, you know, there are four major fuels for the body, right? And two of the major fuels are carbs and fats. And that is what we tend to eat in macro supply, which is why we call them macronutrients. And a lot of people, unfortunately, are unable to process efficiently or burn efficiently both carbs and fats. They typically can burn one well and not the other. Carbs, they do well, no good in fats. Fats, well, no good in carbs. And you've heard people say, for example, I can't eat carbs. I get bloated. I gain weight so easily when I eat carbs. People really are not able to process these macronutrients as well as they need to. And the inability to process both carbs and fats is what is called inflexibility. Your metabolism is not flexible enough to be able to burn whatever fuel that it sees. I liken it to a hybrid car. You know, a hybrid car has a battery and it has gas. And so when the battery runs out, the gas kicks in and you're able to keep going Two different energy sources and the car can use both of them depending on what is available. That gas, that car, that hybrid car is a metabolically flexible car. The car that only operates on gas when that tank is empty, if you don't fill that tank back up, 
your car is not going to run. That's an inflexible, a metabolically inflexible car because it only uses one fuel source. And so that really is the premise of metabolic flexibility and inflexibility and transferring it to the human body. The idea is if you're only burning carbs well and not fats or fats well and not carbs, you are inflexible. But if you can burn both of them, then you are metabolically flexible. And that is what the Metflex diet is. It's a six-week program to teach people's bodies how to burn both efficiently by exposing the body to carbs and to fats and doing a little keto and carb loading. And that is kind of how the program works. And that's what science says. Science says, for example, that doing what's called cyclical keto, cycling in and out of keto, short-term keto, can actually improve this concept that I'm calling I don't call it, but the concept that's been termed metabolic flexibility. Yeah, well explained. The the analogy with the hybrid car, it, make, it makes so much sense. So many people who are sugar burners, they're not burning fat, but only sugar. That's the majority of, of people. Um, they are like those gas trucks that you know transfer gas or take gas to uh, gas stations. They have all this fuel on top of their truck, but they, they can't access it. It's like they, they need to be able to access it, right? So I, I'm with you. You know, what I see in my space, Ian, is the opposite. I see the metabolic inflexibility with people who do keto too long. And I'm not a fan of long-term keto. You just stated that you're not either because that's a different form, but also another form of metabolic inflexibility. So it's a similar principle with my book, Keto Flexing. It's like, yeah, let's get you fat adapted and then let's be really good at burning both of these major energy sources, sugar and fat, so that you're not leaning on one because we're designed to go back and forth. And that's exactly what your book talks about. So what are the signs for those listening and watching? What are some signs to pay attention to that they might have a metabolism that is inflexible? Yeah, unfortunately, there's no blood test. That'd be nice and easy. We could take a blood test and say, hey, you're inflexible. And there we know we need to make some changes. But there are several signs I mentioned in the book. Some of them are, number one, if you're someone who needs some type of stimulant to get you up and moving and going, that it could be a sign that you're inflexible. If you're someone who just has eaten a meal and you have cravings very close to right after your meal, that could be a sign. If you've just finished a carbohydrate-rich meal like pasta, which is what's on my plan very often, and you're very sluggish after having this pasta, that could be a sign. If you're someone who's had a problem you know, losing fat uh, mass, you, know, you have these pockets of fat that you just can't get rid of, that's a sign. Uh, even signs of depression could be a sign of metabolic inflexibility. So those are some of the signs that you actually may be metabolically inflexible. And by the way, a lot of people are metabolically inflexible and don't even realize it. Yeah, so true. Yeah, you're right. Uh, your book show, shared some studies. And I remember that study that came out from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in 2018, where they said a 10-year study over 8,000 participants, they, they said that 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy or in better, your words, metabolically inflexible and there were some more recent studies that show it's upwards to like 93%. So that, that's a big problem because that's leading to, of course, insulin resistance, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, et cetera. So the name of the game is what you and I are talking about, which is metabolic flexibility, health over dogma. And that's very important for the keto space. And majority of my audience are people who do keto. And I love keto. It's, it's fantastic. It's just not something we are in a constant state of. We're seeking health, not dogma. And I love that you have a very similar approach. Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, 
this is the best thing I've ever tasted. If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised to make you think they're high quality are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? This may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. No matter where you are in the lower 48 states, Wild Pastures has got you covered. Not only is this the most convenient way to get your meat products, but Wild Pasture meats are better for you nutritionally and they're higher in the total nutrients, phytonutrients, antioxidants, key fatty acids, vitamins, minerals, proteins, and amino acids. And today, for keto campers, for a limited time, you can get 20% off every box plus free shipping for life and $15 off your first box. This is a crazy deal, and I hope you take advantage of it. So make the switch to Wild Pastures today and save nearly $1,000 on your grocery bill while feeling healthier and enjoying the best-tasting meats of your life. All you need to do is go to the link in the podcast notes down below. Everything is already applied. All you got to do is click that link, customize your order, and you'll have some delicious, healthy-tasting meats very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. In your book, you talk about how to achieve this metabolic flexibility. And I've extracted a few things that I really resonated with. And I want to, I want you to educate my audience on some of these steps. So one of them you wrote to wait three hours to have breakfast. What's the benefit of that? Well, people have to understand what intermittent fasting does, right? And so this is part of fasting. When you are fasting and you have consumed all of the energy from food, you've consumed all of your glycogen, which is the storage form of glucose that you can find in your muscles and your liver. When you have all those sources of energy gone, what's left is your fat. Your fat is a storage form of energy. And the objective is to drive our body into the fat stores and break the fat down and use that as our energy instead of using food or instead of using glycogen. So the longer you can stay in a fasted state, the more time you're going to be spending in a fat burning mode. And so what I try to tell people is if you're just, let's say you're just getting into a program where you're learning how to fast, one simple way to do it is wait 
a few hours after you get up because you've just been fasting overnight, by the way. When you're sleeping, you're not eating. So that's a fast. So everyone's fast, by the way. Just you know, People think it's, they're not doing it. You're doing it when you're sleeping. But let's extend it. So when you wake up, wait a few hours before you have your first meal because that gives you more time in that fat-burning uh, time period. And I think that's important for a lot of people. And on the flip side, I say a couple hours before going to sleep, don't eat anything. So start your fasting then. So you're fasting a couple hours before you go to sleep, through your sleep, and then three hours after. That is one way of doing a very unofficial, slowly working your way into intermittent fasting. Yeah. So that puts you like around 16, maybe 17, 18 hours of a fast, depending on how many, how many hours with that, that buffer. But Ian, we've been told that if you skip a meal, you're going to slow down your metabolism. You're telling us it's going to help. How, how does that work? Well, because it's not just skipping one meal that's going to slow down your metabolism. Your system has to be extremely challenged before it slows down. Yes, theoretically, if you skip enough meals or you're malnourished too frequently, then your body gets confused and your body says, well, I don't know if another meal is coming, so let me hold on to the fat and the energy I have and slow down my metabolism. But that only happens in extreme cases. I mean, if you starve yourself, uh, which means don't eat for three or four or five days, then your body is going to slow down your metabolism because it's a protective mechanism. But skipping one meal is not going to do it because you need an extended period of time of the body having no energy influx for it to then say the correction is going to be, guess what, guys, we're slowing down. So one meal skipping is not going to do it. Yeah, there you go. So those who do OMAD too much, chronically doing one meal a day, uh, that will, uh, to Ian's point, I agree, that will slow down your metabolism because your body wants to survive. And if you're dropping, if you're in a constant caloric restriction, I mean, your metabolism is going to match that. Otherwise, you would wither away. So the metabolism needs to slow down. You can't keep producing all this energy if you're lowering your energy uh, through calories. So I love that. You're so right. It's the feast, the famine, the feast and famine. Now fasting is such a popular kind of buzzword, even though it's nothing new about it. I know you're a big fan of it, but people are now forgetting to feast or forgetting about the opposite of that. So I love that you teach the importance of feasting as well. Yeah. And I and I tell people, I have a Facebook group, which is called Metflex Diet, the name of the book. And we have 15,000 people who are doing this program together. So I encourage those who are listening or watching to join it. Uh, once again, Metflex Diet. I'm in the group helping people. We have a Zoom session tonight, for example. Uh, so I do two Zoom sessions a week. Uh, we share recipes. The average weight loss so far in six weeks has been between 14 and 16 pounds. But to your point about fat burning, people have not just lost weight. They've lost between eight to 10 inches on average. And that is the fat. They're burning their fat because they're doing this fasting. We do. I do three different types of fasting in the book. I do time-restricted feeding, which is what we just talked about. I do the 5-2 method, and I also do the alternate day fast. But when you combine fasting and you combine keto, cyclical short-term keto with carb loading, and you combine it with some exercise, I believe that the reason why people are seeing so much success uh, with the program is because they're taking all these things that by themselves can be effective. And so it's one plus one plus one equals five. You know, Additive, it's more than what you would expect in a, in a, a linear equation. I think that that is very important for people to understand. Yeah, what's beneficial is that it just constantly keeps the body adapting and guessing. And you're a fitness guy. All great fitness coaches understand that. If, if you give this, the, your client the same workout routine every week, yeah, that first week or two, they might get some results. And after week three, they plateau and they actually lose 
even the benefits. But if you keep work changing the routine, high rep, low weight, uh, and then vice versa, different movements, the body has to adapt, and that adaptation creates healthier mitochondria. It creates just a robust of changes, and you could do the same thing with your intermittent fasting schedule, with your eating keto, keto, uh, what I call keto flexing, but keto cycling. So I love that. It, it works like a charm and it's proof with, with the students that are going through your course. And you also talk about the benefits of getting in a fasted cardio workout, which I personally love to do. So how does that elevate your fat burning uh, mechanisms? First of all, a fasted cardio classically means that you have nothing to eat before you do the workout and you have nothing to eat for about an hour after the workout. So you're doing your cardio in a fasted state. Now, this is not for everyone. I mean, you have to listen to your body signs. If you're faint or you feel like you're off kilter, you know, you may have to stop doing that. But people should try to do a fasted cardio workout because what that does is think about it. If you are in a fasted state and you don't have food energy on board and you've gotten rid of those stored glucose, like I talked about in the glycogen, and now you're left with trying to get to your fat to use that for energy. Remember, no matter what you're doing, if you're alive, your body requires energy. So when you're working out, you are multiplying that energy demand tremendously. And so you have no food on board. You have no more glycogen left. We're using your fat for energy. You've now upped your energy demand. And so what is your body going to do? Your body is going to go into that fat storage even more because it needs more of that fat for energy. And so if you can do a fasted workout, what you're doing is not only extending your fast, but you're upping the energy requirement, which makes the fast even more effective because you're not just burning fat now because you need to live, you're burning fat now because you need to meet the increased energy demand of your workout. Yeah, well said, exactly. You're putting your your body fat um, at that front of the metabolic bus. You got to use that first versus that protein shake or whatever it was. So yeah, I'm a big fan. So you know, let's talk about what type of cardio. Could it be simply like a walk? Does it have to be sprinting? What do you mean by a cardio workout? Well, I prefer HIT, high-intensity interval training, which means periods of uh, high exertion alternating with periods of rest or low exertion, for example. Um, and you can do it in the book. I have all these different exercises that you don't need any equipment or any gym membership, though I like gyms. But if someone you know, wants to work out in their hotel room, in their backyard, in the living room, these are workouts you can do. But for example, you could do running in place or jumping jacks. You could do it for 30, 35 seconds and then rest for 30 seconds, then go back and do it for 35 seconds. So it's this oscillation between heavy exertion, intense exertion, and rest or low exertion. And that is what high-intensity interval training is, HIIT, H-I-I-T. And so I heavily recommend that. Studies have shown that HIIT, for example, will not only burn more calories, but it can burn calories up to 24 hours after the session is over, rather than just walking on a treadmill for 30 minutes at a steady state. For most people, unless you are severely deconditioned and out of shape, that treadmill work is going to have minimal impact. But if you take 20 minutes and do a HIIT workout, that will have a tremendous uh, impact for people. And so my recommendation always is if you can try to do HIIT three times a week. And, you know, it sounds intense, but it's a lot easier than what most people think it is. Yeah, I love that because it, it kind of goes against the old way of thinking that you got to like do a 60-minute treadmill walk in order to burn fat. And you're going to be more, much more effective to your point if it's a 20-minute HIIT workout. I personally love the, the Tabata sort of workouts where it's 20 seconds on, uh, 10 seconds off. 
uh, interval sort of training. Yeah, that works really well for me. And especially for entrepreneurs, you don't want to spend an hour, two hours at the gym or in your room working out. If you could get in a good workout, 20 to 30 minutes, 30, uh, excuse me, three to four times a week, that is ideal for somebody who's really busy. Let's um, transition to sleep. Your book talks about the importance of sleep. And I want you to educate us on what happens during sleep as it relates to fat loss. But before you get to that, do you think somebody who is wanting to lose weight, they want to burn fat, and they're sacrificing sleep to get up earlier and go work out? What do you think about the person doing that? Are they doing it the wrong way? Should they get more sleep and maybe skip that workout until they get quality sleep? Wow, that's a great question. And I wish I had the answer to that uh, because (laughs) I've never thought about that question, but it's a very elegant question. You need good sleep. You need to have good sleep hygiene. Sleep is very important for metabolic flexibility. It's very important for hormonal rhythms and restoration of your body. By the same token, you also want to get that, that workout in. So my recommendation, I guess, to someone would be if your morning workout is going to compromise your sleep, is it possible to do your workout later in the afternoon? Now, I tend to be a morning workout guy. I love morning workouts. They release endorphins, which are your body's happy chemicals. And I think that people, it's easier, by the way, working out in the morning when there's less distractions. And also, by the way, you don't have other things stopping you. When you work out in the afternoon or evening, then there are always a thousand reasons why you can't work out. You got to go somewhere. You don't feel good. You had a bad day, whatever it is. So I do encourage morning workouts, but I also think that you have to be careful of compromising whether or not you're doing your workout or you're doing your sleep. I don't know. You know, if you said to me, okay, I'm going to lose a half hour of sleep. I don't think losing a half hour of sleep is going to be so impactful and that the, the loss of that is not as great as the gain of doing that workout. But if you're talking about cutting your sleep by an hour, uh, hour and a half, I think that becomes problematic. That's a lot of sleep and a lot of time your body still needs to be in, in restoration mode. Yeah, I agree with you. So what, what is happening during sleep that's going to help us with fat loss? Well, the beauty of sleep is that you're fasting. I mean, you know, people have to understand that if you are alive, that means your heart is beating, your blood is circulating, your organs are working, and your lungs are pumping. If you are alive, that requires energy, and you have to get that energy from somewhere. It doesn't, you know, the body is not robotic in the sense that it works on a battery. It works on energy sources. And so, you know, if you no longer have food energy on board, you no longer have the glycogen on board, you're going to start using fat energy on board, which is another reason why I tell people do not consume food so close to going to bed at night. People eat these big boluses of food, 2,000 calories, 1,800 calories at night. Then they go to sleep. Well, number one, because your body is is in a almost quasi-vegetative state, you're not doing anything but lying down and sleeping and eating and you're breathing and and, uh, heart beating. When you consume all those calories, you aren't burning them off. And so overnight, the body's got to do something with those calories and it starts storing those in your fat cells. It makes your fat cells larger. But if you don't eat so close to going to sleep while you're sleeping and there's no energy on board, once again, that's another promoter of trying to burn your fat overnight. Yeah, that's a big takeaway right there. There's a lot of people who are have that bad habit of eating and going to bed. That used to be my bad habit until... I felt, you know, groggy when I woke up and then I got into the research and I discovered that insulin and melatonin have this inverted relationship, right? So when we eat all this food and we get this insulin spike, it's going to decrease your melatonin levels. And that's not good for uh, not just sleep, but also it's an antioxidant. So there's so many reasons why we don't want to eat before bed, especially as it relates to fat loss. You mentioned, Ian, in the beginning 
that there are four energy systems, but two that are primary, which is sugar or fat. What are the other two that you were thinking of? Uh, So, well, well, the primaries are carbs and fats, and then the two others are protein and your body fat. So I, when I'm saying fats, I mean your consu- fats you're consuming, carbs you're consuming, then protein, and then the fat that you're storing you know, in your body. Those are the four primary sources of energy that the body will use depending on what state it's in and, and what it needs. Got it. And then in your book, there's also a section about metabolic boosters. Um, so there's two that I want to want you to t- teach us about. Number one, uh, you mentioned increasing your protein consumption. And then the other one was increasing your B12 consumption. So why is that important? Yeah, well, increasing your, your protein consumption is important because protein is difficult to digest, actually. And when you have a problem digesting protein or when you need to digest a lot of protein, you're making your body work. And that is really the key for people that have to understand is that the more your body works, then the greater your metabolism because metabolism is correlated to how much work that needs to be done. Uh, and so if you can increase your, your protein content, and by the way, you know, I prefer more lean protein. I think that's the best way to go. Uh, however, there are people, you know, I'm not one of them anymore. I used to eat a lot of steak, but I don't eat a lot of steak, but there are people who are eating steak. And that's obviously full of animal protein, but there's also non-animal protein like beans, chickpeas, and legumes. And so I think that it's important for people to understand that when you are eating this protein, that you're saying to your body, I am giving your body a challenge. And the challenge I'm giving your body now is you got to break this protein down. And it's not easy to break down protein. It's work. And when the body needs work, and by the way, this is why you exercise. When you are working, your body requires energy. And so when you are digesting food, that is work, which is why, to your point earlier, skipping meals, when you actually are eating, you are activating your gastrointestinal system. And that is a little bump in your metabolism because that requires you to digest food. So you're requiring the secretion of hormones. Your stomach needs to move. Your duodenum and the rest of your gastrointestinal, your, your, your small intestines, your large intestines. So that is really important for protein. Now, people often ask me, what form should you take the protein in? Okay, this is an important part. And I say, listen, there are all different forms of protein. People can get it through food naturally, whether it's through animal products, whether it's through non-animal products like chickpeas, beans, legumes, and lentils. But protein supplements are not always bioavailable, which means that even though it says it has eight grams of protein, we don't know how many of those, how many grams of those proteins of the protein is actually available to the body for use. The best way to take protein in, in my opinion, is through natural food because it's more bioavailable. I'm interested, what do you think about protein bioavailability? Do you have a... Yeah, I love that you explained that. You're you're right. Um, Number one, I mean, animal protein will be more bioavailable than plant protein just because it doesn't have some of those those anti-nutrients. But to your point, when you're eating and chewing and masticating like actual a whole food, whether it's plant-based protein or animal-based protein, there's a whole cascade of different hormones like cholecystokinine, leptin, peptide YY that you get that you don't get versus uh, like a powdered protein. So I'm a big fan of eating the whole protein, eating a whole food. Now, with that being said, there are times where I am uh, you know, going from interview to interview or whatever it is, and I, I just did a workout and I will sometimes supplement with a supplemental protein powder, but it's the exception, not, not the norm. So I, I agree with you, Ian. That's a fair point. And the last thing about B12, just so you know, a lot is not known about B12 and metabolism. It hasn't been totally worked out, but there have been studies that show that B12 
increases cellular metabolism. So at the cellular level, uh, it becomes very important. And there have been studies that have shown that people who are supplemented or in- ingest an adequate amount of B12, that they do have a bump in their metabolic rates. But the nuance of it has not been worked out to say for sure that these are the steps of how B12 does it. There's just been this association with B12 and, and increased metabolism. Got it. Yeah. Well, hey, it's probably a good idea to get your your B vitamins up either way. So might as well get it. <laughs> and a lot of people, a lot of people who have that um, the MTHFR gene are usually deficient and in, uh, in, in their B vitamins. So especially that's especially true for for you folks if you've tested your genes on that. Hey, Keto Camper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout. And that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation. And there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light. And every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bond Charge. They hooked you all up for being a Keto Camp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to bondcharge.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code ketocamp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out. And let's get right back to this episode. I'm going to ask you a uh, maybe a difficult question to answer, but I'd love for you to <laughs> answer it. You've been in the space for, for how many years now? Oh, geez. At least 20. At least 20 years. And you've written 24 books in 20 years, which is amazing. Congrats on that. You have studied a lot. You've also worked with a whole bunch of clients. So the question is this. What are two things that you truly believed in in the past that you no longer believe in because of uh, new research or new application? Like two things that you believed in in the past, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, that you you don't agree with anymore? Um, I believe that metabolism automatically slowed at the age of 30 because that's what the prevailing thought was. New research has shown that metabolism does not slow down at 30. In fact, it remains relatively stable between the ages of 20 and 60. So in that age range, your metabolism is relatively stable. And so people tend to start slowing down at about 60, at about 0.7% per year, which is why I say to a lot of people, it's not that your metabolism is probably slower, it's that your metabolism is stuck or it's inflexible, which is why I wrote the Metflex diet, because we need to unstick your metabolism, kind of get that lever greased up so you can go from carbs to fat. So that is the biggest one. I also think that not related to food, but the idea that in order to gain muscle, hypertrophy, gain muscle mass, that you had to actually damage the muscle. Because the way muscle builds is you damage it, then there are cells called satellite cells that come to repair it, and they start laying down kind of recruitment of muscle fibers, and when they repair the muscle, it gets bigger. Now, new science shows you just need to bring the muscle to failure, which means you know you can lift lighter weight, and when you can't lift anymore, you're right to failure, then without damaging it, you still can get hypertrophy or muscle growth. Those are the two things I think that have changed a lot uh, since 
years ago when I was discussing them in a different form. So those, that's interesting. So what are your favorite uh, workout uh, movements? Uh, are you a, more of a fan of the compound movements versus the isolated ones? Or do you like a combination of both? Like maybe your top five, if I were to ask you, if you could only do five movements, not necessarily like workouts, but actual like movements, what are your top five movements uh, in terms of workouts? Well, I like combination movements, but I think when you're looking for a specific muscle hypertrophy or growth in muscle mass in specific areas, isolation is the best. So, you know, I think that, you know, isolation on machines, a lot of bodybuilders use a lot of machines, believe it or not, because you can really isolate your biceps. You can isolate your, your pectoral muscles or your traps. I mean, you really can focus on those areas. So, it depends on the body part. I like to do isolation, but I also like to do combinatorial, you know, exercises, whether it's, you know, even when you use dumbbells, when you're doing dumbbell biceps, for example, you're not just doing your biceps. I mean, you know, you're using other muscles to help get that up. And so I think when you do dumbbell work, in most cases, you're actually using a lot of accessory muscles other than the primary muscle that you're, that you're focused on. So I think that you should do a combination the exercises, of course, would depend on what you're trying to do. If you, you want to work on your glutes, there's a whole set that I like for that. If you want to work on your quads, you know, your abs, whatever it is, I think. But I think that you should focus on some combinatorial uh, movements as well as some real isolations to really get that kind of pop in that particular area. And especially if you're trying to sculpt in that area also. Yeah, that makes sense. So would you say that squats would give you the biggest bang for your buck in terms of like... <laughs> You know, if you had to choose just one movement that would give you the most benefits, would you say it would be squats, like weighted squats? I think squat is up there, but but if you're going to do squat with a barbell on your on your back, uh, you know, across your shoulders, you got to be very careful. I don't believe you should do heavy weight with squats because I believe it puts a lot of pressure in your lumbar area, your lower back area. It concentrates a tremendous amount of pressure, and there are a lot of people who lift really heavy squats, and as they get older, they start having problems because the back you know, the back is not made of metal, it's tissue. And while it's pretty strong, you know, when you're putting four, 600 pounds of pressure in that particular area over a long period of time, then that can lead to very rapid degradation and premature aging of your tissues and your joints. So squats are a good complex movement, but I would say do lighter squats and make sure you have really good form. What are your thoughts on uh, barbell front squats? Uh, and so it's not on your back, you're, you're putting it uh, under kind of the collarbone. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a safer way to do squats. Obviously, people do less weight that way, which is fine. Uh, it's not about, you know, it's not about how you look in the gym that you're squatting a lot of weight, but I think that, I think that's a safer squat for people to do. And I feel like people tend to have, uh, if you can do the form correctly, you can tend to have a really good form and it actually can actually work more accessory muscles than having it on your back. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. What does your supplementation look like for you personally? Uh, like, what do you take? What do you rotate to? What are your favorites? I take omega threes. That's it. That's it. I do. That's so you get everything it. from food. Everything through food. Everything. Through so food. not even I'm not even creatine. I'm a naturalist. Everything through food. Interesting. So why do you decide to just do mostly everything through food? I've always been that way. I'm not a big fan of synthetic products going in. I think that natural nutrients in their most natural state tend to be more available to your body biologically. They tend to be safer and they also come with other good things. They come with other nutrients. So they have a better nutrient package when you get them through food. And so I've always been that. I'm not against people doing some supplementation, 
But I do think that there's a lot of over supplementation uh, in the market and people should just be careful and be very uh, read very well what you're taking. For sure. Definitely over supplementation and a lot of synthetic crap out there. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Whole food is always, always best. Um, you you have 15,000 plus people in your Facebook group. Uh, my question is, how long have they been doing your Metflex program? Um, so maybe answer that first and then I have a follow-up question. Um, so a thousand people uh, did the program early. So they got the program before the book came out a few weeks ago. So they did it for six weeks, which is how long the program is. And now some of them are on their second and third cycle. Oh, awesome. Okay, so uh, troubleshooting. Let's say you know my audience, they go and they get your book, which they should. Everybody go get the book. We'll drop a link down below. But troubleshooting. Let's say somebody is a sugar burner, right? They're or a car burner, or they're just for 20 years, they've only burned carbs. And now they want to become a fat burner. They want to actually do both, but uh, first burn fat, then go and burn carbs again. But they also want to implement intermittent fasting. So were there some challenges? And I've seen there be some challenges with sugar burners, carb burners wanting to do a 16-hour fast, and they just they might go hypoglycemate, they might get you know hypo hypoglybitchy, like Dave Asprey calls it. But what are some of the the coaching you you've given them if they're not feeling well as they push their breakfast out three hours? They just haven't adapted well. To go slowly, I think doing a 16-8, which is 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of feeding is very severe for a lot of people. I recommend people start with 12-12 or 14-10 as their intermittent fasting windows. And the first number, of course, is the fasting time and then work their way up to 16-8, which is the most that I would go. Some people go 18-6. I think that's really extreme for the average person. But 14-10 is when you really, studies show that when you really start seeing some positive impact uh, on the fasting, obviously uh, 16-8 will give you more. Uh, Longer the fast, it tends to be the better. But you got to work your way slowly into it. You don't want to jump in head first and then it not work and then you totally give up on it. You know, I think slow and steady wins the race. A hundred percent agree. So fasting is like a muscle you want to develop. If you've been couch potato for 20 years and you try to run a marathon, that is not going to look good. It's going to feel awful. Same thing with burning carbs for many years and then you try to fast. And the cool thing about it, you mentioned it earlier, you use your eat, your excuse me, your sleeping window as your fasting window. So you get seven, eight, or nine hours, depending on how much you sleep, and then you could just add to that. Outside of fasting, excuse me, outside of fat loss in regards to fasting, what are some other reasons somebody might want to practice fasting? What are some other health benefits of intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting has been shown to not only help with weight loss, not only help with fat burning. But it also helps with um, a cognitive help, a memory, uh, Alzheimer's prevention. Uh, it's also very important for uh, inflammation. Uh, it has nice uh, anti-inflammatory response. For people who have asthmatic symptoms, it's been shown to actually be beneficial for that. And so intermittent fasting goes beyond the scale. And that's why I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. And there are a lot of studies that talk about the different types of intermittent fasting. But I think that all of us are already doing it because we're sleeping at night. And so, and then we're waking up and eating. So we're already, already intermittent fasting, but I think that people should have a more organized structure to it and try to go a little longer. Yeah, 100%. So where's the best place to get your book? Um, yes, the book is everywhere. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart, your local bookstore. Also, of course, follow me on Facebook, Metflex Diet, Metflex Diet. That's our Facebook group and on Instagram, at Dr. Ian Smith. Spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. Ian, thank you, bro. I love the work you're doing. Congrats on your success. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. 
I want to come on and talk to you again. I want to talk about your book. I need to read your book because I, I like the idea of Keto Flex. I think we're in the same lane there, so I really appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. I sure did. I was looking forward to this for quite some time. I'm glad we made it happen. You could get his book called The Metflex Diet. Burn, better fuel, burn, better fat. We'll put a link in the podcast notes for the book and his website and all of his social media as well. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview, that's on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash keto camp. Take action on what you learned today. You know, I think one of the biggest takeaways was completing a morning fasted workout and giving yourself more time to digest before sleep, meaning more fasting time before bed and all the other golden nuggets that he shared. Please consider leaving the show a rating and review if you haven't done so already. Share this with a friend. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.